6, verses 35 and 36 from chapter 8. For those who find wisdom find life and receive favor from the Lord, but those who fail to find wisdom harm themselves. Book of Proverbs is a great place just to do a drive-by every day if you, um, if you have the time. We started this uh, series, and it really could have been described of getting things the correct size. And a lot of things in life will be messed up if, they, if we get their size incorrect or if we make something that's really important small, that's a problem. If we make something that's really a big deal um, too small, that's a problem. And if we make something that's really a big deal and not big enough, that's a problem too. And um, we see some balance in, and the Apostle Paul is going to help us. Last week we talked about his religion. And if you know, he was one of the most religious people you could ever find and that was completely a terrible thing. And uh, this week we're going to talk about how our God is bigger than our sin, bigger than our sin. And uh, we're going to see some awesome stuff as the teachings of Paul will help us know that no matter who you are, no matter what you have done or where you have been, there's grace that's greater than all of that, than every bit of that. And um, as we look at the life of this guy who was absolutely one of the greatest missionaries the church has ever known, we're going to be pretty shocked if you don't know too much about Paul. You'll be pretty shocked about you know, what this guy was up to before he found Christ, before he got to the cross. And I, I believe that uh, as we look at this guy and see how low he went and how lovingly the Lord scooped him up. Um, you, you need to know, and, and need to, you, this needs to get into your spirit. No matter who you are, God can do great things in and through your life. Nobody in this room is disqualified from the grand things that the Lord wants to do. And, and, and at this church, we want everybody to know that God's grace can, can reach them. That, that God's grace can change them. It doesn't matter who, who and, 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 and if maybe your heart is burdened for somebody, somebody that you know and you care about and you love and they're not in church and, and, um, and uh, I want you to know God's grace can get to them and your prayers are effective and they make a big difference. And um, you know, I, I think when we consider this guy and we're going to look at Paul quite pretty hard today, we're going to kind of stick him on a rotisserie and ro- rotate him a little bit. <laughs> That's sick, isn't it? That's a sick. Anyway, um, there were probably people looking at him at that point and and before he was saved and going, there's no way this guy will ever amount to anything good. He is evil person. He would have made Darth Vader look like a little unicorn kind of a thing. I mean, he he had a pretty evil thing going on. And, And God can take the person who is the absolute furthest out there and propel him to the furthest forward. It's a, it's a, it's a wonderful, it's just awesome. I want to pray, so let's pray. Lord, I acknowledge and we acknowledge today that there is only one true God. And that the head of this church, Lord, the head of the, the church, the, the big C church, is your son, Jesus Christ. And there's only one Holy Spirit that you sent to work with us, Lord, and, and to comfort us. So God, you know, use your word today to shape us, to, to encourage us, to convict us, to build us, to help us, Lord, to come out more like Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now, I want you to know that this study today on this topic, we are going to motor. We're going to move fast. There are a lot of scriptures, and um, so I'm going to move right along. And so we're, we're going to be looking at the life of Paul, and we're going to pull today's study, a lot of um, excerpts from his epistles, his letters that he wrote to churches. And we're going to start right out in 1 Timothy um, 1. Um, where Paul is kind of talking about himself and set the stage. I want to thank, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, 
and appointed me. Faithful here doesn't mean that he was faithful, so God saved him. What he's saying here was that God saved him and made him into faithful. God did that. You know, appointed me to his service. Though formerly, okay, Paul, tell us what you were like before. Formerly, I was a blasphemer. Okay, now watch as we go down through this. You're going to see three deeper steps downward as we go here. He says, um, formerly I was a blasphemer. So he hated God. I desecrated God. I spoke against God. And then worse than that, he was a persecutor. So he, he's, he's saying, I punish people who, in my opinion, spoke against God. So that's another step down. And then worse, he says, and an insolent opponent. Insolent. Nobody could talk to him. Nobody could tell him anything. Nobody could tell him to go in a different direction. Wow. <laughs> this guy's augured into the hillside, okay? He's, he's not in a very good place. But, Scripture says the word but. Now, I know you've heard pastors always say, oh, you always have to be careful when you see the word but in there. There's something changing, and it's important. Pay attention to it. I can't, I can't help it, but you know, some of you know a former pastor that I used to be a pastor with, and he one day embarrassed himself terribly in church. I, I'm going to quote him. I probably shouldn't. But I just can't help but think of it. He says, he says, he's preaching. He says, when you see, when you, when you see a butt, you should check it out. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what that meant, but it stuck with me. I have no idea what else he preached, but that message <laughs> stuck with me. <laughs> so he's saying, you know, I was all these things, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save. Who did he come looking to save? To save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Now, I don't know what translation maybe you study, but there's other words where he says he's the foremost. Uh, the one I grew up on was the New King James or the King James. He said he was chief of sinners. He was the worst of all. The message, the message, which is kind of a funny paraphrase, I chuckle sometimes when I read it, it says, public sinner number one. <laughs> of all the sinners, I'm chief. I'm the foremost. You want to talk sin? Okay. We can have that conversation. I was the CEO of sin. I was the inventor. I was, he wasn't actually the inventor. I was the chief. I was the guy. Just, this is the example. I'm the prototype of sin. Before Christ, he's saying that's who I was. And I think it can kind of be, you know, difficult for us to really appreciate, to truly appreciate what we have in the gospel, what we have in the cross, what we have in our Savior, until we really look straight into our condition apart from God in our lives. I mean, and the key that explains that condition apart from God is a word that just is not politically correct. And the word is sin. Don't hear that word very much. Now, before I get going into this, because I want you to know I'm not going to thump you with the Bible today. That is not my heart, and it's not my style, and it's not what we do here. Um, But we are going to read God's word and I want you to hear this scripture, Romans 8.1. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk uh, according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. And so you need to not feel any condemnation today. Christians, you may feel conviction where the Holy Spirit is saying, hmm, 
You know, Terry, we've been talking about this for a while, right? Right. How much longer? I, Terry, you know, that's conviction. Condemnation is something different. Condemnation is something that hell would say to you. You're coming here. You're worthless. You'll never amount to anything. That kind of condemnation is not from heaven. Romans 8, 1 tells us that. Anyway, so the key that explains our condition apart from, from God and his involvement in our life is sin. And I want to tell you today that sin is not a trifle. It's not some ooh little oops that happens in our lives. It's, it's, it, it, it's not a trifle. It's a tragedy. Sin is, is, is not a, a failing. It's fatality. It, it's not some curiosity. It's, it's, like, it's like a cancer that grows in the center of God's calling and purpose in our lives. And without Christ, sin will take you down. Without Christ, sin will take you out, and sin will take you to a terrible eternity. And no matter, you know, wherever you look in the world, whatever you see that's a problem, its roots come from sin. No matter where you look. You know, why is that a problem? What, you know, why is that so messed up? It's because of sin, you know? Why, is, why, are, the, why are things so sideways here? It's because of sin. Sin is a big problem. Now, maybe some of you are right now going, okay, Typical preacher, making a mountain out of something that's a, that's a molehill. I mean, aren't you kind of taking this a little out of context here? Oh, okay, well, let's see. Let's talk about it for a minute. Get, get some context. Sin, I believe, is the source of all human disaster. All of it. All natural disasters in the world are because of sin. Romans 8 tells us that the creation itself, the creation itself is subject to futility. Because of sin. The world's broken. I mean, the earth, the physical earth is broken. Do you understand that? I mean, they're, 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 they're not supposed to be tornadoes. There's not supposed to be hurricanes and tsunamis and earthquakes. They're not supposed to be here. None of that was present in the Garden of Eden. None of that before the, before the falling. That was not part of the original plan. God, God didn't create a universe to fight against the people that he created and he loved. That is not the Lord's plan. It all happens because creation itself is subject to futility because of sin. All natural disasters in the world are because of sin. All political disaster is because of sin. Here's a um, current world conflict map. And this is generated by... Um, the Council on Foreign Relations, and without getting political about whether supporting them or not. This is just a simple map if you want to find out, according to their measurements, what w- w- current world conflict. You can see two different colors there. Um, the orange colors are ones that are kind of continuing steady state from the year before. The red ones are ones that are getting worse. And um, um, I just wanted you to see current world conflicts. And this is, in their mind, a current world conflict is an armed conflict that results in 100 or more deaths per year. And um, you might think of where a lot of those are. Just, just to give you an idea, number four on the list, place in the world who, in terms of armed conflict, is Mexico, where last year over 10,000 people died as a result of armed conflict. And it's about drugs there. There are different reasons in different places, but um, this is an example of, 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 of um, political disaster caused by sin. Why? 
Why all this political disaster? It's because man craves something which only belongs to God. And that's power. Psalm 62.11 tells us that God spoke once, but I heard it twice. Power belongs to God. Power belongs to God. There are no powerful people. There are no impressive people. There, There are no important people. There are only confused people. And they're confused because of sin. Sin's the cause of natural disaster. It's the cause of political disaster. Sin causes all economic disaster. And there are a lot of problems in the world. You know, how many problems happen on Wall Street or happen because of housing collapses and so forth? And there's one word, which you probably already know what it's going to be. If I say, if, if, if this word wasn't, didn't exist, these problems would, and that word is greed. What's greed? Greed's a sin. Sin is a disaster. It's the cause of natural disaster, political disaster, economic. And sin is the cause of moral disaster. Every moral disaster comes from, I think something is going to help me, but it doesn't. I think something's going to please me, but it won't. I think something's going to minister to me, but it's not going to. I think something is going to improve my life. Every moral disaster is because of sin. And then the last one, every relational disaster disaster is because of sin. You know, love is characterized as you before me. Sin is characterized as me before you. And you know, it's easy for us to see sin in the world. We can, it's easy to see it in the newspapers. It's easy to see it, you know, on TV. It's in society. You can see it on your street. You can see it in your family. You know the place that it's absolutely the hardest place to see sin? The mirror. The mirror. <laughs> you know, and, and it is hard. It is really hard. You know, we're just not quite so good at that. What makes it so hard for me to see sin in the mirror? What is it about sin? Well, it's because sin is really deceptive. It's, it's, it's twists and it tricks us about ourselves. There's a theologian I like to study. His name is A.W. Tozier, just really godly man, just wise. And um, he said, a man can believe in total depravity. That's the belief that man can do nothing to save himself, okay? A man can believe in total depravity, but have no sense of it for himself. He's basically saying, until, until you allow the knowledge of your own sin to get past your theology buffers, you know, until you're wounded with the reality that we sin, until you're wounded with the weight of the fact that I'm a sinner, you know, our sin just absolutely damages and prevents what God wants to accomplish in our lives. So back to, to the Apostle Paul. He, he makes his declaration in 1 Timothy. He's the chief. He's the worst. He's the foremost. And, um, and, and then we've been in Genesis. In the next chapter in Genesis, um, some, some, some Bibles have a little heading. And if you get to chapter 3, mine says the fall. Okay? And, you know, the fall from what or the fall to what. And, of course, this is, of course, the fall of man and what a man fall, man man falls into sin, and you're going to notice this when you read through there. We are sinners by choice. You can't blame your mom, can't blame your dad, can't blame your teacher. Um, we can't. It's we're sinners by choice. Genesis three verse one. Now the serpent was more crafty, and this is the Satan coming in the form of a serpent, than any of the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And he says to the woman, Did God actually say? Catch the significance. Did, did God really say, 
Okay, so here are four ways that sin will come into our lives. Four ways that it gets to us. Number one, we doubt God's word. You know, did God actually say, God's word says something about marriage, and before you can sin against your marriage, you have to doubt what God's word says about it. God's word says some things about your finances. And before you can sin with your finances, you have to doubt some things that God's word says about your finances. God's word says some things about telling the truth. It says some things about love. It says some things about kindness and, and uh, generosity. And, and, and it says, God's word says a lot of things about a lot of t- topics. And before you can sin in those areas, you have to doubt God's word. Um, Verse 1 through 3. Then the serpent said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. So in other words, we can eat of all the other trees. There's only one we can't eat. Then she adds this. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. And that's the second way the sin comes into us. And we don't know necessarily if that comment came from her or from the serpent. But the number two way is that we distort God's word. God didn't say they couldn't touch it. You look carefully at what's back there in Genesis 2. It uses the word eat three times. It's very specific. And somehow now something is being added and distorted to God's word. It's the second way that um, sin comes into our life. And this, this fruit that they're talking about, you know, it's, we always say it's an apple. It, we don't know there was an apple, but that's kind of a way for us, a handy way for us to picture it. Whatever it was, it was pleasing to the eyes. It, it, was, it was attractive, right? But it represents sin. You all get that, right? You, come on, nod at me. Okay, thank you. And, um, and it's attractive, and, and that's kind of how sin works. It can look like something good is going to happen uh, do something good for us that it isn't. Sin, sin always promises more than it's going to deliver. It always takes you further than you want to go, and it makes you pay more than you want to pay. So there's the doubt of God's word, then the distortion of God's word, and then verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Well, God said if we eat that, we'll die. He says, no, no, you're not going to die. You won't. So we doubt God's word, we distort God's word, and then we flat out deny God's word. It's not going to happen. God's wrong. It's not true. He's keeping something from you. He says, you're not going to die, and here comes the worst part of it, verse 5. For God knows that when you eat of it, eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And that's the last one. We discredit God's word. It's not good enough to doubt it, to distort it or even deny God's word. Now we're going to assault God's motives. We're going to attack God's heart. He, he didn't say that. He didn't, he didn't say that. The reason he didn't say that was because, you know, because he doesn't love you. Because he doesn't have your best interest in heart. Because he's keeping something from you. And that's what the world will tell you. God says, you know, when God says, don't, 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 do, don't do adultery, He's, he's cheating something from you that you'll enjoy. When God says, you know, worship the Lord the first day of the week, you know, you, you, should go, you shouldn't do that. You should go do something else. You should, you know, <laughs> don't go to church. Thank you for being in church, by the way. Well done. Um, you know, I mean, he, he's saying you could, do a, you could be a lot happier if you just did something else instead. When God says, stay pure before your marriage, when God says, trust the Lord with your money and tithe, you know, there's so many examples. If you allow yourself 
to doubt God. And if you allow yourself to allow God's word to become distorted and discredited, you're going to be discrediting God. That always leads there. God doesn't love you. He, he, he's keeping happiness from you. And that, that is the disaster that sin is. That lie. That misread of God's loving heart for you. That is the, that is the disaster. And the history of this guy continues in Genesis. You know, there's murder that goes on. If you read the next couple of chapters, it's pretty interesting. And you get to chapter 6, it says, verse 5, The Lord saw the wickedness of man that was great in the earth, and every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Wow. So we're sinners by choice, and we're sinners by nature. This is going to end pretty soon, okay? Are you going to make it through this, okay? Okay, okay. Hey, keep, keep on with me. Romans 5.12 says this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all sinned. I learned something as a parent, and um, I'm getting to see this again through my grandchildren. <laughs> and it's fun seeing them grow up. I've got two right now, one that's about one and a half, and one that's about three and a half, and I'm going to get in trouble for these comments, I'm pretty sure. Not from anybody who loves me, but you know, it's just like, um, maybe, I don't know. But I love those little girls, but they're already bad. <laughs> but they're good. But they're bad. I mean, I mean, you don't have to teach a little child how to lie. You have to teach them to tell the truth. You don't have to teach a little child how to disobey, right? You have to teach them how to obey. They got these little wills inside them, and, you know, they can be a little stubborn. They can be a little prideful, right? And I, I'm... They, we, we, we want to lead them to a place where they find something out and that I hope you have found out, I think you probably have, is this. They can't learn those things. They can't learn them. Only Christ can make a change in a person. You know, that selfishness, that me, that I got to have it my way thing. Only Christ can change that because we're sinners by choice and we're sinners by nature. And we see it in our little ones. So I want to talk for just a couple of minutes about the extent of sin, um, the extent, how, how far it goes. Here's quick, four quick verses. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, Surely there is not a righteous man on the earth who does good and never sins. Wow. Everybody sins and it's kind of self-deception to claim otherwise. Okay, 1 John 1.8, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. It's interesting that I think that the person that's furthest from God is not the greatest sinner. The person who's furthest from God is, is, is the most self-righteous person. You know, the person who des- denies the existence of sin, who denies the, the reality of sin. And even the apostles recognize it. Romans seven eighteen. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. And, you know, some of you might be thinking right now, well, okay, maybe Terry, but... Um, you only say everybody's a sinner because you've never really met my grandma. Who, I can't picture her sinning. And, you know, everybody has this image of somebody they know or, you know. He means everybody except Pastor Terry. You don't know that there's, you know, I've got this, my little two-year-old girl in the nursery and she's, 
she's so sweet and so awesome and broke the mold. She's sin free. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> where do I go with that? And, and so um, 1 Timothy 5.24 also says, the sins of some people are conspicuous. You can see them easily. Going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So if I was to ask you right now, rhetorically, I wouldn't want anybody to say this or you know, share this, you know, maybe list three sins that you're struggling with. And maybe there might be a thought in your mind that says, well, I don't know, I, I'm having a hard time coming up with a list. I mean, okay, here's a suggestion. Ask your family. Just ask your family. <laughs> but if you're going to do that, I mean, in all seriousness, if you're going to do that, say, hey, where do you see sin in my life? You make up a promise first. If they're going to answer the question, you promise them that you'll sit quietly and not say a word for five minutes. Because if they tell you the truth in love, those five minutes, the Holy Spirit will do something in you unexpected and lovely and beautiful. And, and I know I'm drilling down here, and we're not quite drilling to the bottom of the well here, but we're still so... so but I think it's really important for us to embrace this, to, to not minimize sin, because we've talked about the extent. I want to talk to you a little bit about what the purpose, what the intent of sin is, the intent of sin. One, the Bible says that sin is going to pursue you. It's like a rabid dog chasing after you. I mean, I, I was you know, wasting a little time early, early, early this morning on the news, and you know, sometimes there's these rabbit trail links, and I saw one that said, Rabid bobcat pursues animal control officer, and it was a video. I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> so here's this guy with this stick with the noose on the end. He's trying to, it's, it's in a house. <laughs> I don't know to deal with. And the people in the house were on the other side of the glass wall, cheering and shouting and ooh, screaming because the cat was coming around and going after this guy, and it was lunging. It's you know, pretty big bobcat, muscles, strong, fast loud. It was growling. And he's got this stick that's probably seven or eight feet long with a noose on the end. And he keeps batting this thing off and it's, it's lunging at him and he's you know, um, and there's one point that it gets right up on him and he somehow rolls the cat off of him and he caught it. But like, that was a great picture of sin. It pursues you with rabies. <laughs> it does. They tested this bobcat afterwards. It had rabies. I don't know if that guy knew at the time. Maybe they all do. Maybe they don't. I don't know. But that's what sin is like. It pursues you. The Bible frequently describes sin as, as this pursuit. Genesis 4, 7, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Now, I've been praying about this moment because I... I don't believe a whole lot in coincidence, and I think that there are some today. I don't know your sin. I'm glad you don't know mine. But there are some here today, and you were brought by the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit has has freedom in his heart and in his wings for you today. And there are things that months or a year ago you would have never considered. You would have never gone near. And today, you are actively considering what was unthinkable. And this is the moment for you. This is a moment 
where the Holy Spirit is saying, let's turn this around before you go there. And you can then say, yes, I am not going to go there. I am not going to plunge my family into this. I am not going to make people around me pay the price for something that just, I'm just not going to go there and I need your strength, Lord. Help me out. And I'm going to say for you, your time is right now. And, and, and these are strong words. I, I wanted you to know that the Lord wanted to interrupt this service. I don't know who you are or how many but the Lord wanted me to take the, the moments in the service because you need to be warned. You won't be able to say later, I was never warned, nobody told me. Lord, do your thing. Sin is going to pursue you. And then number two, sin will disappoint you. Sin is going to disappoint you. Hebrews eleven twenty five says that the pleasures of sin are only for a season. Time's going to run out. Misery's going to be waiting on the other side. It will always disappoint you. Don't allow yourself to believe that you are the exception. You know, it's going to always disappoint you. It never gives what it promises and it leads you places that you don't want to go. Sin will pursue you. It will disappoint you. And number three, it will enslave you. Hebrews 12, 1, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. That word ensnares, I looked at lots of different translations as well as the root word. Here's, here's the other ways it's translated. The, the sin that besets us, clings to us, entangles us, trips us, holds onto us tightly, holds us back. I had this terrible picture on that of this. I don't even know if I was going to use this example, but it's like that face hugger in the science fiction movie. Some of you know what I'm talking about. If you don't know what I'm talking about, don't watch the movie. It's creepy. But it's, that's what sin's like. It gets a grip on you that is terrifying and horrifying. And, um, you know, have you ever thought, you know, I, I, I'm really doing better. I'm doing really good. You're, you're over this thing. My, this behavior pattern is behind me. My, my attitude is in check. And then something happens. And without warning, all of a sudden you fall flat on your face. Your heart's filled with bitterness and anger. And that thing is just showing its head. Sin will trip you up. It's just snapping at heels all the time. It's going to enslave us. Paul tells us in Romans 6, he says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? So you're the slave of the one you obey, either sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Okay, and the last one, sin will expose you. Sin will expose you. You, know, you may have a great little pattern. You may feel like you know how to handle things and... Um, you think you're going to get away with it, but it's going to come out. Numbers 32 tells us, says, be sure, be sure about this. Your sin will find you out. And the thing is, it's going to come out at the worst possible time. That's not me being pessimistic. But it's going to come at the worst possible time because Satan, who hates you and who wants to destroy you, will make certain that it comes out at the most destructive moment possible. And verse 23 confirms, your sin will find you out. Be sure 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 your sin will find you out. And, and this is the nature of sin. Paul says, I'm chief. I'm the foremost. I'm the captain of the guard. And I hate the thought. Um, I don't feel this way, by the way. But I hate the thought that our church, that Crossroads Church, could ever become a place where we think... Sin is out there. 
<laughs> that this is the clean room. I, I would hate that we would ever, ever, ever think that. I mean, I'm not, I guess I am calling you all a bunch of sinners. I am. I just, but we have to despise self-righteousness as a, as, as a people. Christians who are to be salt and light, we have to despise self-righteousness. We have to despise thinking that we are better than other people. We have to despise any thinking or believing that we are in some perch of spiritual superiority. That needs to be despised in us. And back to Paul. And, and, and now we're going to read some text about this guy, Paul. He, he's going to get a turn on the rotisserie here. And this passage we're going to read is the very first mention of him in the Bible. And... Um, you're going to see that he's helping other people. He's enabling other people to sin. And so it's a great question to ask ourselves, do I help other people sin? So what's the, the context here is this guy named Stephen has just preached, preached his brains out. I mean, it's an amazing sermon. And there's opponents there, and, um, and he's concluding it. Okay, so it's, this is in Acts 7, starting in verse 51. And he's, 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 he's laying it down here. He says, you stiff-necked people. Now, he's talking to followers and people who are not followers. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in your hearts and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, and who you received and who received the law as delivered by angels, and you did not keep it. You are loved. <laughs> it's like, whoa, he just laid it down there and um, you know, he's challenging these people, which I think is a good thing because I think as in a general tendency, we're all really good at staying the same. Sometimes it's good to have a nudge to help us grow and get better and, and uh, move forward. Then in verse 54 comes the response and it's not too hot a response. <laughs> now, when they heard these things, they were enraged that word there, kind of an odd word. I studied it. What it, what it literally means is sawn in two. <laughs> Picture cut in half with a saw. I mean, it, what, 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 the, what, the, what the Holy Spirit is, is telling us here is, is they were cut, their hearts were cut. And they ground their teeth at him. <laughs> they were ticked. Wow. But he full of the Holy Spirit. This guy's full of the Holy Spirit. He's, he's controlled, he's anointed, he's full of the Holy Spirit. He gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. Wow, what a moment. He didn't see the face of God. Nobody sees the face of God. He sees the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. That's significant. And he said, now here comes no filter Stephen, okay? Bah! You know, here he goes. <laughs> Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, this is interesting to me because every reference, except here, every reference through the entire New Testament of Jesus in heaven, he's seated at a throne, except right here, this one place. You know, Stephen is standing for God, and, and, and Jesus is now standing. I think he's standing for Stephen. It's my opinion. Could be. Wow, he's standing at the right hand of God. And now these people who are angry, verse 57, but they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. Did you ever do that as a kid? You know, that's the thing you do when you don't want to hear, um, la, 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 I don't know, I hear the things you have to say. Okay, they're, they're, they're sticking their fingers in their ears. <laughs> 
How childish of them. I'm laughing at them. Okay. They cried out voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. Now, capital punishment in this day and age was stoning. They didn't, no, there was no hanging. There's no lethal injection. It was no electric chair, no gas chamber. They, they, they threw rocks at the person and killed them by blunt force trauma. You know, it was terrible. So they drag him out of the city and they stone him. And here comes Paul's entrance into the story, into this event. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Who's this guy? First time in the Bible, you know, first time we ever hear of him, it's, it's this, this guy who's going to become Paul um, in the New Testament. Here he is. They're stoning Stephen and they're laying down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. He's like the coat check boy or something. I don't know. And they're outside. Now they're in a temperate climate. Why are they taking off their coats? Because you take off that heavy stuff, you can throw the rocks harder and more accurately. And, you know, I'm going to kill this guy. Give me a rock and I want to do it. And it's like, you know, okay, yeah, 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 here, here, I'll hold your coats. Get them. That's the scene. Did you hear about in the news this last week about four young people taking a mentally disabled man and, and torturing him and doing things to him? I mean, it just so was such a hateful thing to This is way worse. Paul is just, <laughs> Paul was full of hate and he's holding the coats and Paul is helping these people. Paul enabled them to sin. And that's the question, you know, do we ever do that? Maybe you don't enable someone to kill other people, but do we enable people to sin? Do we help them? Do we look the other way? It's, it's a great question for parents. Do we enable our children to sin? Do we, do we look the other way? Do we help them? Do we cause them to sin with our examples? Do we let them think they can get away with it because we don't hold them accountable or because of the example? Or, or spouses, you know, spouses can cause their spouses to sin. Do we enable our spouse to sin? Do we cause our spouse to sin? Do we help them? You know, and this was just the, you know, just was the start of it for Paul. It gets a lot worse because he enabled sin and then Paul pursued personal sin. Verse 59, and as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, this is Stephen, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. That's a euphemism for he died. And what's Saul thinking about this? Move forward to chapter 8, next next verses verses 1 and 2. And Saul approved of his execution. He's happy. He's consenting. Yeah! Outstanding! Good one! Excellent! In the middle of this sin. And there arose on that day a great persecution. Why? Why this? Why did it rise up that day? Because once you can get it rolling, you should just watch the momentum of sin. It just, it just, there's this mob mentality that can get going. Okay, and here's the thing. It's a little bit hard on us. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church. Do you notice that it was against the church and not the apostles? I get it that I can talk about Jesus on Sundays here and it's accepted and approved and promoted, and I'm honored for it. But if you try to do the same thing tomorrow at work, you'll be persecuted. 
you could lose your job. And I'm not telling you to go get persecuted and lose your job. I think the Holy Spirit will guide you in the right ways to share the good news in the gospel. And you need to do that. The people that you encounter through your day need the good news. They just need God. But I get it. But it's interesting that it was the church that was being persecuted and not the apostles. Interesting um, observation against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. In Galatians 1, um, chapter 13, later, this is the apostle, he's later the apostle Paul talking about it. He says this, he says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church violently and tried to destroy it. Paul wasn't just falling into sin and enabling sin. He was pursuing it. And there is a question for us to ask ourselves. Do, do we pursue it? Am I running to sin or from sin? Am I, am I trying to make pl- place in my life to honor God or am I make place in my life to harbor and hide sin so I can do it more? Running to sin or, or, or running from sin. Chapter 9, we're going to see that what Paul does is he persists in his sin. Acts 9, verses 1 and 2. But Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's the church, it was called the way, um, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Lisa and I were... um, on Friday, we spent some time with, with our son Joseph, and we went to the Museum of Flight, and they had this, there was a guy who did a little talk while we were there. Um, man, what a cool place to go. Guys, girls, whatever, great place to go tour. But there was, a, there was a guy that was there where he gave a 15-minute chat, and he was an actual Holocaust survivor. And he told stories of how um, in his neighborhood that um, he heard at nighttime um, cars rolling in and trucks rolling in, and he could hear the Germans' shoulders shouting, You didn't! You know, get out on the street. And they would take loads of people away and night after night. And they'd get up and go to school the next day and kids would be gone and they wouldn't know. And so there was an underground and people were hidden. You know, this probably the history of this. And he shared stories and actually showed pictures of a, of a, of a place where he went where there was this farmhouse and the uh, soldiers would come and they would, when they came, the owner of this farmhouse had, um, pried up a couple of floorboards in a couple of places and there was a little tiny area in there and if the Germans came up the road, if the soldiers came, they would lift up those floorboards and actually lay on the floor and put a rug over the top of it and the German soldiers, they could feel them inches above them and if they coughed or sneezed, they'd be gone. And they didn't know where people went. You know, in retrospect, we know that. But, but Paul went from house to house We see the German soldiers dragging Jews off to kill them in Europe during the war as like evil personified. They got nothing on Paul. Paul is, you know, this guy is as far gone as far gone gets. He murders people. He's throwing people unjustly into prison. He's beating people and torturing people. Because they follow Jesus. Since taking him and grabbing him and dragging him down. The thing is, he's going to get saved. 
And I can hardly wait to get to next week's message because it's a terrific story. First Timothy um, 1, starting in verse 13, Paul gives his testimony. He says, Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I'd acted ignorantly in belief, in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The church is a place full of sinners who are saved. And he's saying, I'm the worst one, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy, and now here is the point. I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, the worst of the worst, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. There's the gospel, the good news. That's it. The reason God give, gives, saves Paul, who's the worst of sinners back then, is so that today, people who have gone the furthest, who, who've done the most, who think it's too late for them, can know that God can still find them. He can find you. You can still believe on Jesus for your forgiveness. You can still turn from sin and be saved and receive the free gift of eternal life. You can still do it. So I'm going to pray. Um, would you put that last slide up? And I'm going to pray over that. But I'm going to ask the, the uh, communion service to come. We're going to receive communion. And um, I just want to say this about communion. Um, it's a teaching. It's a religious thing that the church does. And it's one of the few things that that the Bible tells us, here's a religious thing, you should do this, and there are good reasons why we remember Christ. And we, if you've been in church any length of time, you know the story. It's the Last Supper, and the, um, the disciples are, um, are sitting with Jesus, and he says those things. He says, you know, take the bread. It's, it's, it symbolizes my broken body for you. Take this cup of wine. It symbolizes my shed blood which helps provide the remission of sin. It does provide the remission of sins. But what most people don't realize is that the conversation immediately preceding that, Jesus says to his disciples, and this is the scene of that famous uh, D'Angelo painting of the Last Supper. The scene is Jesus says, somebody sitting here eating this dinner with me is about to betray me. Someone sitting at the table receiving communion that day, that night with Christ was about to betray him. It's possible to receive communion and for it to mean nothing. And I want to invite you to not let that happen in your life. If you've never opened your heart to the Lord, you have no reason not to. You're, you're in a room full of people who love you and will embrace you as one of us, a fellow sinner. And the way that you do that, Scripture says, is that you believe with your heart and you confess with your mouth. You believe that God, that he died for our sins and Lord, and that God raised him from the grave and you confess with your mouth. And one of the ways you confess with your mouth is receive communion into your mouth. I'm receiving this as a testimony. And that passage, I want to pray. Um, I'd like to, come on up and let's, let's pass the elements out. I guess, um, wait until after the prayer.